Hello, I'm David Kalmus, Deputy Editor for Neuroradiology. On this video podcast, I am joined by Jeff Petrella, Associate Professor of Radiology at Duke University and Director of the Alzheimer's Disease Imaging Lab there. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. So we're here today to discuss your recent paper in radiology looking at the ApoE2 mutation in Alzheimer's disease from the ADNI network data. Yes. I'm sure our readers know a little bit about ADNI, but could you just give us a couple of sentences about, about what ADNI is and the current status of the project? Sure. So uh, ADNI is a multinational uh, trial um, in patients with Alzheimer's disease and, and normal controls and also patients with mild cognitive impairment. It was started in 2004, and it was really designed to identify early biomarkers of Alzheimer's disease. And uh, the trial, um, right now, it's being, um, they've, uh, it start, uh, as I said, it started in 2004, and it was, um, initially, it had 800 patients at over 50 sites uh, in the United States. And... Um, Really, so the data that was obtained was imaging data, genetic profiles, and biomarker data, so data from spinal fluid. And the idea... You can take a subset of these patients, though, for your current paper. Yes, that's exactly right. So even though, you know, the initial purpose of ADNI was to detect early uh, biomarkers of Alzheimer's disease, what's happened, it's gone way beyond that, uh, in the sense that it's a really rich database with thousands of... uh, imaging uh, and genetic specimens. So you could then address retrospectively all kinds of hypotheses and questions about the basic biology of Alzheimer's disease. And so tell us about your hypothesis with this study. Yeah, so um, our hypothesis centered around a gene called the apolipoprotein E gene. So uh, apolipoprotein E is a uh, is a protein, it's a normal protein that's associated with the transport metabolism of lipids. It's also thought to have a neuroprotective role. Turns out that patients who have an abnormality in this gene, or they have a mutation of this gene, have a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. They have an earlier age of onset of Alzheimer's disease. And those who do get dementia progress at a faster rate. So it was our... Um, hypothesis here, our interest to really look at how does this E4 gene operate? What does this do uh, biologically to the brain? And we could use the imaging tools uh, that we had in ADNI to look at the effects of this uh, gene mutation on the brain. So you, you prospectively, a priori, chose 15 regions to look at, and it turns out that 13 out of those 15 were different between groups. Um, were you surprised by how, what, what your hit rate was on, on finding those, those areas, or was it not a surprise? Yeah, well, it, uh, I hate to admit it really wasn't a surprise because we kind of stacked the deck in our favor. In other words, the choice of those regions was based upon um, prior cross-sectional data, so lots of prior data showing the effects of the APOE gene across patients with Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment. So we kind of knew areas that that we were targeting. Now what was unique and different about our study is we looked at not single time points in patients, we looked at atrophy rates. So we looked at change over time 
to see what is the biological effect in an individual patient uh, of this gene on these target regions which we already know are involved with Alzheimer's disease. So for the practicing neuroradiologist, what areas would you highlight to him or her to know about for Alzheimer's disease? Sure. So really, uh, the primary area that Alzheimer's disease hits is the medial temporal lobe. So it, it is the, uh, the, the limbic system. Um, so we would be areas, I don't know if you could see this very well here, there's this, uh, this is a basal view of the brain in this area that's highlighted on red back here is the um, is the medial temporal lobe. So this would be the area of the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the entorhinal cortex. So really, the medial temporal lobe and also other parts of the temporal lobe, as well as the parietal lobe, both the medial and lateral parietal lobes. Those are the areas that, that we're really targeting in, in terms of um, the, the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. We know from autopsy studies that the actual pathology of the disease uh, is, is in these areas. So, so the neuropathology is in these areas, and these areas are predisposed to atrophy as well. So the apolipoprotein E4 layered on top of what we know in Alzheimer's and the medial temporal lobe, what added value did, did your study give us in terms of that, that specific pathology? Yeah, so, so these are patients with mild cognitive impairment, so they don't have full-blown Alzheimer's disease. Um, and we, we looked at patients who were positive for the E4 gene. The E4 is the at-risk gene, as well as patients who were negative uh, for that gene. We also looked at another form, uh, it was called E2, which has been shown to be, in a few studies, protective against Alzheimer's disease. So we wanted to see if patients with mild cognitive impairment showed who had the at-risk gene showed greater atrophy rates than those who did not have the at-risk gene in these targeted areas. So this, and why would we want to do that? Well, this would give us a clue as to how does E4 exert its effects. You know, I mentioned that patients who have the E4 gene, you know, they, they, um, they're at risk four to eight times as much as patients who don't have the gene. They have an earlier onset and they progress faster. This may be mediated through these particular areas and the cognitive deficits that we see developing in Alzheimer's disease may in fact be mediated through these areas that we're seeing, this network of areas which we studied. So does this point you toward any therapeutic intervention? So, you know, it, it's interesting you, you asked that. Um, you know, I, I think um, this does play a role in, in the in the development of therapeutic intervention. So, not a particular therapeutic intervention, but this can be used in clinical trials um, as a, a potential selection criteria. So, in other words, um, for example, if you're doing a clinical trial, you can enrich that clinical trial with patients who are positive for the E4 allele. And these patients will, uh, as I said, they'll have a higher risk of progression to the disease. So if these patients are in the placebo group, there's a higher risk of progression. It gives your clinical trial more power in that sense. Not only can we use E4 as a selection criteria, but if we do, we know the areas that we need to target. 
So we can then use imaging as a surrogate marker for outcomes. As you know, clinical trials to test a single drug cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It takes uh, up to a decade to do this and a thousand patients to test one single agent. So, and, and that's based on what the FDA requires, which is neuropsychological tests or clinical testing. If we can use imaging as a surrogate marker that is a more sensitive marker of disease uh, progression or of protection, let's say, from the drug therapy, we can have smaller samples, we can have smaller clinical trials, and that means more clinical trials, and that means testing, being able to test more agents with the same amount of money. So I think these results will, will help clinical trials of, uh, of disease-modifying therapies in Alzheimer's disease in general. Okay, so tell us now, what are you doing with the ADNI data at this time to extend this current work? Okay, so it's interesting. You know, um, as a, I am involved in clinical trials, but I spend a lot of my time practicing clinical neuroradiology. And you know, what we're interested in as, as practitioners is the individual patient. And, uh, and as you also might know, there is commercial software available now for quantitating volumes, both in the medial temporal lobe as well as in, in other areas of the brain. And the question is, you know, it's interesting, you know, this, this software can give us, um, now it's all automated, so these are reproducible measures. You hit a button and you get a bunch of volumes out. But what good are they in the individual patient? So our research now is focusing on what, what, are, the, what are the thresholds of volumes in these uh, targeted regions that can tell us if a patient is at increased risk. So we know in general, yeah, there's information associated with these areas. There's good information. But exactly in the individual patient, what range of values are going to tell us that this patient is predisposed uh, to Alzheimer's disease significantly more than, than other patients? You know, and there's a lot of biologic variability between individuals. It's like we, we all have different faces. Uh, however, if you look at the same face over time, you know, over years, it probably doesn't change all that much. So looking at the rate of atrophy over time in the same patient may be an excellent marker uh, that, will, uh, that will give us an idea of the risk in an individual patient. And those are the issues that we're looking at now. Sure. I know our readers are always interested in how do we help the patient in front of us today. So we at Radiology look forward to getting that paper from you in the future, giving us those thresholds. Great. Uh, Jeff, is there anything else you want to discuss about your, your, uh, your current paper in Radiology? Yeah. Um, let's see. No, I, I just I think that, um, you know, to, to keep in mind that even though the results now, we can't apply them at the individual patient level, um, it can, in some sense, uh, help in, in clinical trials, which, you know, let, let's face it, uh, there's no sense in, in uh, diagnosis without a cure out there. I think that's the most important thing. And uh, diagnosis becomes critical once there's a cure out there. So I think if we can work towards developing the cure and these results can be uh, used 
for that purpose, then I think our role as radiologists will become more relevant in this disease. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing future papers uh, from your excellent, excellent group. Thank you. Great. Thanks, David. Pleasure.